Numbers chapter 12, I'll begin reading at verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Meekness. How many here want to be meek? It's not something that many people in our world aspire to. I mean, meekness is the same as weakness. Meekness means you can't stand up for yourself. Meekness means you lack self-confidence. Meekness means you can't stand up to those who are opposing you. It's not a virtue. We don't think of it anyway as a virtue. We look at what's happening in our national discourse right now. Think of the political arguments that take place or think about how we talk to one another in person or over social media about COVID policy. I mean, we're aggressive, strident, we're strong in the statements we make, we're assertive. That's the way things are done. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, and everybody whispers under their mouth, yeah, right. We don't believe it. Is meekness a virtue? I'd like us to think about that today. The Hebrew of the Old Testament, the Greek of the New Testament. There's a variety of ways that, for example, even the word in our text and other words are translated. Meekness, humility, lowliness, gentleness. Those are some of the words that go along with what that word means. And the question really is, do you long for that in your life? Do you nurture those things in your life? Do you pray for God to increase those things in your life? This text in Numbers chapter 12 contains, I think, one of the strangest phrases in the whole Pentateuch. It's a statement about Moses. You see what it says in verse 3, Moses was more meek than anyone in the world. He won the prize for meekness. It's a strange statement, but I'd like to have us think about it. And I'd like to look at meekness in the life of Moses, beginning with this text. So we'll see meekness in conflict first. Then we'll see meekness in action, which will help us to understand what this idea of meekness really is. And then we'll talk about meekness in our lives, in the Christian life. So let's begin with meekness in conflict, because meekness shines in conflict. It's easy to be meek when there's no conflict, when there's no attack. But meekness shines when we're under attack in some fashion. Moses here in our text faced an attack from a very intimate source, his own sister. The text indicates that the leader in this 
criticism of Moses, this attack on him, was Miriam herself. Aaron sort of strung along. Her name appears first in chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron criticized him. The Hebrew actually is a singular feminine verb. It says, then Miriam and Aaron, she spoke against Moses. She was the spokeswoman for this cause. And then finally, when you look at the end of this matter in verse 10, when the judgments of God come, it seems again that Miriam is especially singled out in judgment. So she was the leader in this. In fact, she was a leader in the nation of Israel. It's clear. She, if you go back to Exodus 15, led the whole congregation in a song of deliverance, of triumph, as the Egyptians were defeated. It's the first psalm recorded in Scripture. In that same passage, she's called a prophet. She was the leader of the people. But on a more personal level, Miriam was someone, I think we would say, who had mothered Moses. She was his older sister, but you remember she was the one that went out into the river when the little baby Moses was put in a basket and set to float in the river for safety. And she watched over that basket. When the princess came out, she was the one that was bold enough to go to the princess and arrange a nursemaid for said, do you want me to get a nursemaid for this baby? And the princess said, sure. And it was Moses' actual mother who was the nursemaid. So she was older than him and had cared for him since infancy. And now this Miriam comes with Aaron, her younger brother, with two complaints. Think about these complaints. The first is the woman who was a Cushite, whom he had married. Now Cush, generally in the Bible, refers to Ethiopia and the region around there in Africa. The problem is that the earlier passages in Exodus describe Moses' wife Zipporah as a Midianite, not as a Cushite. So what does it mean? It could be that Zipporah had died. I mean, 40 years is a long time. And maybe it was even 80 years because he married Zipporah when he first left Egypt. So a long time has passed. So maybe Zipporah has died and maybe he's remarried. In fact, verse 1 of chapter 12 hints that this was a recent marriage. You notice how it's repeated? Because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Maybe this was recent. So what was Miriam's problem with that? Well, it doesn't exactly say, so we only can guess, but it could be racism. could be that this wife, whoever it was, was darker in skin tone, darker than the other Israelites. And so this term Cushite could very well be a racist slur against her. And I think the judgment of God against Miriam hints at that because in verse 10, as you go all the way down towards the end of the passage, you see that the judgment of God is that there's a skin disease placed upon her for a few days and the skin disease makes her like snow. You think being white is good? Well, let me make you as white as snow. That was first complaint. It was against the wife, the Cushite, the wife of Moses. But the second complaint comes from jealousy against her brother. I'm a prophet. You see, she was a prophet. I'm a leader also. And so she comes to Moses, her baby brother, and says, does God speak only through you? What about me? What about Aaron? So this jealousy is aroused. 
who knows why at this particular time, but she feels like she knows Moses. And you know how it is. This kind of jealousy is most easily aroused in those who are closest to the leaders because they see them and they say, these are just ordinary people. I could do what he does. This is no big deal. God could work through me just as easily as God works through him. So she brings this complaint, these two complaints against Moses. And the voice of this complaint is heard. I think people argue about which complaint was the real complaint. You'll see that a lot of people think that the second complaint having to do with the organization of, you might say, the structure of the leadership of Israel is the real complaint. And the other one was sort of a smokescreen. I kind of think it's the opposite. You may or may not agree, but that's what I've seen in human nature. When we have a personal problem with someone, if we state it just as a personal problem, it makes us look petty to bring it up. I don't like the color of her skin. I think she's bossy. I think he's lazy. It makes us look small. And so usually we dress up that petty complaint with something, well, deeper, theological, scriptural. No, 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 I'm not a racist. Far from it. I don't really care about that. What I'm really concerned about, Moses, is the structure of the leadership of Israel. I think we could be better if I also was using the gifts and talents that God has given me. I don't know what you think. I just want to serve the people. Maybe that's what Miriam and Aaron were doing. So they aired their complaints. I'm sure many people heard it. That's the other thing about human nature. When we have a complaint against someone else, we usually try to get some allies around us. So we usually gossip it around a little bit to others so that they support us and encourage us. So I'm sure many others heard it. Moses heard it. But there's this ominous phrase at the end of verse 2. Look how it ends. And the Lord heard it. And the Lord heard it. The judge of all the earth was listening. Now it's in that context then, context of that very personal conflict that we come to understand verse 3. Now the man Moses was very humble or meek more than any man who was on the face of the earth. That's what makes sense of it. It's meekness in the face of conflict. It's not as though out of the blue he's getting the Nobel Prize in humility. You know, that's not what it is. It's that there's a certain kind of response he's making to this attack. And actually, if you read the previous chapter, it's sort of a series of attacks. So that brings me to the second thing. What is this meekness that we see in Moses? So let's try to define it by, secondly, meekness in action. When we see it in the life of Moses, we begin to understand why this statement is made about him. Why was he meek? He's not perfect, by the way. A couple chapters later, Numbers chapter 20, we looked at it. He actually displays a kind of anger which merits the judgment of God. Remember, he's not permitted to go into the promised land because of that. And yet, he is called a meek man. So let's learn about meekness by seeing it in action in the life of Moses. So I'm going to make four statements about meekness here. And they're drawn from the life of Moses, but also from other places in Scripture. The first is this, that meekness is gentle in its reaction. Meekness is gentle. It's not quick to hit back. It's very slow to anger. It's gentle in its response or in its reaction. So we see here 
that Miriam and Aaron attack Moses, probably in a somewhat public way, but certainly to his face. And God's judgment comes upon Miriam. In most of our translations, it says that she got the disease of leprosy. It was some kind of a skin disease for sure. But Moses takes no pleasure in it. He doesn't say, there, she got what was coming to her. That'll shut her up. It was nothing like that. Instead, he prays for her. In fact, the words indicate his distress at seeing his sister in, in trouble. Oh, Lord, please heal her. Don't let this continue. There's a gentleness. Meekness makes us loathe to cause injury, even to those who have injured us. There's a gentleness to meekness. I think an amazing example of this is Joseph. We tell the story very often. You remember the beginning of the story. It's at the very end of the book of Genesis, but the story is about Joseph, whose older brothers very cold-heartedly sold him into slavery, but God raised him up. He became a governor in Egypt, and then his brothers came looking for food because their homeland of Canaan was experiencing a famine. And so the, the brothers, the children of Israel, literally come to Joseph looking for food, And if you look at Genesis 42, it's very interesting. They approach him and they don't recognize him. Of course, it's been many years and, you know, he's dressed like a prince of Egypt. So they don't recognize him at all. And they begin to speak to each other about their plight. And they are speaking in Hebrew to each other, admitting that this must be God's judgment for the sin that they committed against their younger brother Joseph. They're saying it's clear that their hearts are broken. God has done something to show that what they did was evil and wrong. And they assume Joseph can't understand what they're saying. They're speaking in Hebrew. They assume Joseph is an Egyptian, but Joseph understood everything that they were saying. But he had them in his hands. You know, he could have crushed them right there. Retribution. He could have beat them. He could have done anything. But it says that his heart was moved with pity. In fact, it says he had to leave the room to hide his tears from them. There's a gentleness to this meekness. That's what I'm talking about, when we have the power to hurt the one who has hurt us. When it could be violence, could be gossip or slander against them, could be to harm them in some other way, but we don't want to do it because meekness is gentle. It's like the Lord Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So that's the first thing about Meekness. We see it in Moses here and actually in several other instances and we see it in the scriptures. Meekness is gentle. Here's the second thing. Meekness submits to God. Meekness is gentle in the face of attack. Meekness, secondly, submits to God. And so meekness makes us prayerful. It's not like the meek don't suffer. You know, if you think, oh, if I'm meek, I'm going to suffer, it might happen. The meek often do suffer, and you see it all through pages of Scripture. But instead of complaining against God and against his purposes and against those that God has appointed, the meek groan to God in prayer. Instead of complaints against God, they go before God, groaning and letting him know about their plight. And you see this over and over as we've been looking at Numbers and Deuteronomy. The people constantly complained about God's purposes. Promised land? What promised land? All I can see is wilderness. We're dying here. 
Why did you bring us here? We want to go back. We want another leader. Let's appoint another leader. They were complaining against what God had done, and they were complaining against God's appointed leader, Moses. So that's one thing. What did Moses, who's called the meekest man on the face of the earth, do? He also groaned, but he groaned to God in prayer. He was also suffering, but he expressed that suffering not as a complaint against God, but he unburdened his worries and his fears and all his pain to God in prayer. Amazing example of this is the previous chapter, Numbers chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can just turn with me. So the people have been complaining. We've actually looked at Numbers 11 a few weeks ago. It says, when Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of the tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. Oh, Moses said to the Lord, why have you been so hard on your servant? He's talking about himself. He's praying. He's groaning. Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat? This is what they were demanding. He says, where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. So if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. I found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. He's suffering, but you see he's not complaining against God. Instead, he's groaning before God in prayer. Meekness submits to God and that makes us prayerful. Prayerfulness makes us quiet in the face of attacks. I don't have the answer. I'm at wit's end. I don't know what to do. Lord, please, I need your help. In our text, it was the status of Moses that was being questioned. I don't know what was going on in his mind, but as I read the text, I think that he knew God was listening to all these complaints. He didn't say a word in response. You notice there's nothing of Moses' defense here. God is listening. The end of verse 2 is significant. God is listening. He'll take care of this. If I know about it, then the ears of God have heard about it. And so he was quiet. And then God called them into his presence. Verse 4 is sort of ominous, isn't it? Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, you three, come to the tent of the meeting. It's like dad, you know, three siblings fighting. You three, I want to talk to you right now. He's going to settle this. He's going to settle it right there. God was listening. So Moses' attitude, and this is an attribute of meekness, is submission to God. Let God deal with this. And this is true even when God's word comes to him, and it's a hard word. You know, in Numbers 20, God's word comes to him and says, you will not enter the promised land because you didn't obey me. You didn't honor me in the way that I asked you to honor me. And he submits to it. It's meekness. James Packer wrote this. He said, Meekness for a child of God means accepting uncomplainingly what comes, knowing that it comes from the hand of God who orders all things. What he sends, we accept in faith, even if it hurts, knowing that it's for our and others' good. So we submit, which doesn't mean we pretend that everything is okay, all smiles all the time, even though we're broken inside. No, we submit 
and we express our sorrow to God by groaning to Him in prayer. You know, groans are a part of our existence. That's what the New Testament says. Romans chapter 8 says that there's a cold shadow that has fallen over all of creation because of the sin of humanity. This affects nature, so it says nature groans. It affects us. We groan in our suffering and in our affliction and in our conflict with other people. And then it says something very interesting. It goes on to say that the Holy Spirit of God, who is in us, also groans, expressing our suffering to the Lord in prayer. So meekness submits to God, but that makes meekness prayerful. Those who are meek are prayerful before God. So here's the third thing. Meekness is lowly. Meekness is gentle. Meekness submits. Thirdly, meekness is lowly. The meek accept God's appointment, but they don't grasp at it. They don't grasp at honor. They don't grasp at title. They don't grasp at office or recognition. They don't feel hurt or robbed or forgotten or disrespected if someone else is chosen. Lowliness. Meekness is lowly. So, as you read Moses' appointment way back in Exodus chapter 3, you see how reluctant he was when God said, you're the one, Moses, I'm going to appoint you to lead my people from bondage to freedom. And he says, ah, not me. You don't understand. Remember all the excuses he made? He says, I'm not eloquent. And God said, yeah, but who made your mouth? Don't you think that the one who made your mouth can put the right words into your mouth? The whole episode shows that Moses was not self-confident. He didn't go before God, God saying, I want you to lead my people out of Israel. He says, no problem, got this. He had no bravado, but he was meek. He was absolutely reliant on God. He knew that without God, he could not succeed. Miriam and Aaron, on the other hand, and this is our text as an illustration, grasped, Miriam and Aaron grasped at power and position. What about us? Why can't we be leaders? Moses continually seems to have the other attitude. In fact, at the end of Numbers chapter 11, God's Spirit comes upon some of the elders and they're prophesying and Joshua runs to him and says to Moses, stop them from prophesying. And Moses' attitude is, I don't care. I wish that everybody prophesied. See, he's not holding on to it. This is not something that's defining him, giving a sense of significance and importance. Oh no, if other people join in with me or share this office, then I will be reduced. His sense of who he is is not tied up with his title or with public recognition. He's not grasping at what God is giving him, but he's happy to receive what God gives him without pushing others out of the way. Meekness is lowly. The Apostle John writes in his third letter, 3 John, it's that tiny little letter almost just before Revelation. And he writes about a man named Diotrephes. And here's what it says, verse 9, Diotrephes, who likes to be first among them, does not accept what we say. It's a warning to the church. He wasn't appointed, this Diotrephes was not called by God, but he grasps at honor, at leadership, at office. He wants it. He has an exalted view of himself, you see, as opposed to meekness, which is lowly. In Luke 14, Jesus gave a very practical illustration of this. If you go to a banquet, don't take the seat of honor. 
Don't say, well, that's the best seat. Obviously, it's reserved for me. No, don't have that kind of view of yourself. Instead, have a lowly view. Take a lower seat and then let it be granted to you. Don't grasp at honor. Let it be granted to you. Don't have this exalted view of yourself that thinks that honor is due to you, but rather let others offer it to you. You may say, oh, I'm more gifted, I'm more intelligent, I have more experience, of course I should be in this office. But here's the thing, God doesn't look for intelligence and experience and giftedness. You know what scripture says? For example, in many places, but for example in the Song of Mary in Luke chapter 1, it says, God lifts up the lowly but brings down the exalted. And that's something. God's looking for this attribute of lowliness in order to exalt and lift up his people. So that's the third thing. Meekness is lowly. Here's the fourth thing, and I will explain what I mean by this. Meekness is righteous. I mean simply that meekness, even though it's gentle in the face of conflict, even though it's submitted to God's will, even though it has a lowly attitude towards itself, nevertheless stiffens. It becomes as hard as a rock if it's asked to go against God's word, God's purposes, or God's honor. It insists on righteousness. Of course, the Lord Jesus is an example of this. He called himself meek and lowly in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. He says, if you learn about me, you'll find out that I'm meek and lowly. And yet, what happened when the devil tempted him in the wilderness Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus says, get away from me. Only God must be worshipped. When the Pharisees criticized him because he was, well, showing compassion and love by healing on the Sabbath, he rebuked them. He says, I'm doing my Father's work. There's a stiffness, you see. Meekness doesn't back down when it comes to the honor of God or the righteousness displayed in the word of God. And so, as you read the history of Moses, and as we've been looking at it for the past months, you see that Moses was at times willing to stand against all the people when they were opposing God's purposes. Over and over, they said, we want to go back. Forget about this whole business about liberation and the promised land. We don't care if that's God's plan. We just want to go back to Egypt. And Moses said, no way. You're not going back. You're not doing that. Meekness refuses to give at the point of God's word or God's honor. So we would say, in a more general way, meekness is gentle, it's servant-hearted, it's kind, it's lowly, but it refuses to give in to sin or wickedness. On a positive way, meekness fights for God's righteousness, for God's purposes to be accomplished. I don't know how you feel about what's happening in our nation with the protests and the riots and the burning and the looting. All of them sort of jumbled together so you can't even separate them out. I'll be very honest for you. It makes me long for Martin Luther King Jr., whose words were saturated with Scripture because that's what he was. He was a minister of the gospel. He read the Bible and you could see the influence of the Bible everywhere where he read. Here's what he wrote in one speech. To our most bitter opponents, we say, throw us in jail and we will still love you. Bomb our houses and threaten our children and we will still love you. Beat us and leave us half dead and we will still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. 
One day we shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we shall win you in the process. First of all, it's not burning. It's not violence against anyone. It's being willing to suffer righteously. You notice that? But secondly, did you notice what he's quoting from? Do you notice what this is? This is just Romans 12, isn't it? You should read what Romans 12 says. It says that we should oppose evil, but it says never by doing evil. It says that we should show the wickedness of evil, the wickedness of injustice, but that it will never be made manifest if we ourselves are doing evil. So it says overcome evil with good. And really that's the only way to vanquish evil. If you really want to eliminate evil, you overcome it with good. Because if you try to fight evil with evil, you just double evil and evil wins. So meekness is righteous, you see. It stands up for what is right in the eyes of God. Meekness is not passive, but it fights for God's righteous purposes, overcoming evil with good in the name of God. So that's what I mean. I think that's what this text means when it talks about meekness. If Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth, then his life in some way exemplifies what that meekness is. So that brings me to what meekness means in our lives as Christians. As I said in the beginning, meekness is not valued in our culture. I doubt if you could find 10 people among your friends or neighbors who would say, yeah, man, meekness, that's what I go for. Sometimes it's not even valued in church, is it? If you aspire to be meek, for example, at work, would that get you ahead at work? How about in sports? Would that get you ahead in sports? What if you're in charge of people? What if you supervise them or they work for you? What if you have power and prestige and status? Does meekness help? How about in family relationships? Do you aspire to meekness? It's not valued much. You know, meekness is Clark Kent, not Superman. Superheroes aren't meek. They hit back and they hit back hard. That's who we admire. When we talk about the meek of the earth, when writers write about the meek of the earth, They generally describe the poor, the afflicted, the oppressed, the helpless who are pawns of those who are powerful and rich. But here's meekness, true meekness. Moses, you see how powerful it is? Moses stood against the most powerful man of the era, the Pharaoh who was the ruler of the great kingdom of Egypt. And he won. Moses liberated the nation of Israel from bondage to this great power and led them to freedom in the promised land. Meekness is powerful. Jesus described himself, as I said, in Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine, 29, as meek and lowly, and yet he was God incarnate. He overcame sin and death. He was the one who liberated us, freed us from sin and death, the one who grants us eternal life. Meekness is powerful. So when it really comes down to it, meekness is an act of faith for God's people. Maybe that's why it's not so popular. Those who don't trust this God, don't know his goodness, don't know that his word is worth trusting, don't aspire to meekness. But meekness is really trusting in the promises of God. Let me just illustrate very quickly, and I won't give you all the references, you can look them up, but Meekness is gentle in responding to attack. Instead, it 
looks for ways to bless the one who is criticizing you or attacking you. Why? Because Jesus promised the meek will inherit the earth. I'm going to win. I'm not going to lose here. Meekness is submitted to God's good purposes. Yes, it groans in time, but it's in prayer to God. But it accepts what comes from God's hands. Why? Because over and over in Scripture it says that God takes up the cause of the humble, that God's ear is tuned to the humble. and God will hear and God will respond. We believe that. Meekness means we take a lowly view of ourselves. We don't grasp at honor and title and get all bent out of shape if we don't get what we think is coming to us, but we receive what comes to us as something that comes from the hand of God. Why? Because we believe God's promise again, repeated in several places in Scripture where it says, God lifts up the lowly but brings down the exalted. God lifts up the lowly. It's an act of faith. Meekness means a righteous zeal for God's will to be accomplished. Even if it means we suffer in order to accomplish that for the sake of righteousness. Why do we do this? Because of God's promise. Again, in several places in Scripture, for example, 1 Peter 3.13, it says, Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for good? God's on your side. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for good? It's an act of faith. Meekness is powerful, and we who trust in the Lord God know its power because we trust the promises of God. In the New Testament, you know it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. The Holy Spirit, it says, by whom Christ was raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit who has that power in us produces this fruit of gentleness, or the same word, meekness in us. James chapter 3, you should read the end of that chapter, says that this characteristic of meekness or gentleness is typical of the wisdom from heaven, and the wisdom from heaven has the power to overcome all the demonic wisdom of the world. It's gentle and peaceable. 1 Peter 5 verse 6 says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So really, brothers and sisters, we have this choice. We all face conflict in life, every one of us. So we can be aggressive, assertive, strident. It's the only way I'm going to get what I want. And then we'll get and we'll rise as far as our power and our ability is able to make us rise. But then we'll forfeit God's promise to exalt the meek. We'll rise as far as we can, but we won't rise as far as he can lift us. That's our choice. So we have a different aim. Here's how Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.11, it says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith. We know all those things. Love, endurance, and then gentleness or meekness, same word. Pursue it. The world despises it. But may God give all of us, as his people, the grace to treasure this virtue of meekness. Amen. You have Amazing promises, Lord, for those who are meek. So we do pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would produce this fruit in us. And wherever in situations in life we are ignoring this or despising it or distrusting it, point that out to us, Lord. 
Instead, we pray that this fruit of the Spirit would bless others. And we pray, Lord, that your promises to all the meek would be accomplished in our lives as a result. In your holy name, amen. Jesus said that he was meek and humble. And then he gave us his Holy Spirit. And Galatians 5 verse 23 says, using the same word, that one of the fruit of the Spirit is this same gentleness or meekness. So may Jesus, may Jesus anoint you with his Holy Spirit so that the aroma of that gentleness fills every relationship in every part of your life. Amen.